Hello and welcome to Skeleton Songs. Hello and welcome to Skeleton Songs. It's been such a long time. I know, we were going to do it ages ago and we got ill and then I kept being stuck in coding. And, and I went on a holiday. <laughs> oh yeah, you went to an island by helicopter, didn't you? Uh, officially not, because my dad would be cross if I did. Right. Um, so I definitely didn't do that, but I did go away. And then we've been working on things like a switch port of Culture oh, yeah. Simulator. Tell so. me about the switch port of Culture Simulator. <laughs> when is that coming out? Oh, it's, it's re- well, we can't say yet. This is coming out on oh, Friday, okay. and this is a secret fun thing. But so. anyway, we're doing a switch port, and that's very exciting. So we've been busy with that. And we released uh, German and Japanese, just two languages, casually. Yeah, we did. Freaking alphabets and glyphs and... Yeah, you've been learning lots about... I have, Unicode. All the fun things. Um, But yeah, so basically, we had an excuse. Don't be cross. Well, the breeze... One of the um, results of us having come back to this later, of course, is that I've found my notes (laughs) for this podcast, and they're they're not very helpful. Uh, What it said is, chthonic, colon, Dionysian, no picnic. Why are werewolves less interesting? Pliny the Elder, Arcadia, nine years flesh. And I've been Googling that, trying to find out what the hell it was they called. Yeah, that's a, like a horrible nightmare. And Asheron. I know what that is, but, but I'll come to that. Aslan written in your nah. bad writing. We should explain to you listeners what the hell we're talking about. Um, we did actually make a promise in episode five um, when we talked about how awful women were and how nobody likes them. Um, and we said we would come back and do a whole episode on my nads and kittens. And people, we keep our promises. So here we are, late. With lots of good facts about, uh, as far as I can tell, violent, mad women well, and this is, felines. Yeah, so I, I think I think what I was aiming for when I said Dionysian no picnic is <laughs> uh, don't go on a picnic with a minad. <laughs> uh, I mean, don't expect to come back from a picnic with a minad. But one of the one one of the things about minads, especially you know if you watch your True Blood, is people kind of think of them as sexy. And I guess, you know, people who run around in an animistic frenzy naked, uh, ladies or otherwise, you know, often uh, there's something sexy going on. But but what really stays with me about my nads is how frightening they are. Well, they're sexy uh, up until the point that they rip you apart, aren't they? Uh, well, I think they're not even necessarily sexy up until until that, because, you know, they don't, you, you, you can't, they may be, doing things with each other but they're certainly you know their primary motive is to go and run around and and um really let go and perform rights in honor of Dionysus so although they're well that's what I was going to say because surely I mean they're, they're not sexy now because they do tear people apart yeah. and eat them and, and you know that's all there might be a small fetish in the internet but we're not part of that fetish and it's not cool and sexy but I thought the original point was that these women who otherwise would have been sort of tethered by quite a lot of law so this rules, is what I'm saying like is, is, is we have this idea and they got of them as, as basically um uh, proto-feminists or chthonic feminists who are uh, yeah. letting it all, all hang out yeah. and I'm sure there's something in that and sometimes there's basically something in that but usually there's not so one big thing is who do Minads serve? Dionysus who is a male god right so but they rip apart men they do typically but, the, but um, one of the reasons they rip apart men is that men aren't fans of Dionysus and this is uh, I the, didn't know that the Bacchae which is is he uh, a lady god? No. I mean, is he, a, is he a god worshipped primarily by women? Uh, no. No, no. I mean, minads are, are, are women, but, but he wasn't... But why didn't, why didn't men like... So what I was going to say is, is and, and, and not any kind of expert on, on, on Greek tragedy, and I don't understand the Bacchae at all, but as far as I can make out, it is an account of King Pentheus not paying Dionysius the honour he's due. Mm. And... 
consequently he gradually gets obsessed with Dionysiac things and he ends up uh, losing his mind there's this very haunting bit where he sees two suns in the sky I don't understand oh my God. and then he goes off I think to dress as a woman and spy on the women and at Dionysus's behest they tear into pieces uh, and I think his mother thinks he's a lion and she brings back his head cradled in her arms to show off and then realises it's not it's not a lion and this is a curse from Dionysus himself because he didn't get the respect that he deserved from this guy it is although one of the interpretations of it and I don't know how much the original text supports this is that uh, you got your Dionysian you got your Apollonian and if you try to keep your Dionysian your dark uh, passionate duende-ish feelings down in the basement uh, and never acknowledge them, then they mm. come out and get you. Mm. And there's a play, uh, an opera, uh, uh, The Bassarids, which W.H. Um, Auden, uh, and a lover of his, uh, a poet whose name escapes me, uh, wrote, and it's explicit uh, in that that Pentheus has not acknowledged the Dionysiac side of nature and of his nature. And so if you deny something... It devours you. There's that wonderful Anita Mason quote, which I think I've mentioned before, along the lines of, um, in all the universe, there's only a twinsness, and if a thing is kept from its opposite, it becomes its opposite. So there's that. But the Bassarids thing, the fact that it was called, um, the place called the Bassarids, mine are sometimes called the Bassarids because they wear a basaris, uh, which is apparently Greek for a fox skin, which is associated with the uh, rites of Dionysus. Dionysus sometimes wears one, and, and what, I, like a ruff. Uh, I think it's like a. I don't know because I guess it's not very big, is it? So, well, that's because they're naked, so it could be some sort of little bikini effect, or it could be some like little kind of I've just been hunting. You go straight to the practical, don't you? I'm. I just feel like now I know. I mean, I, as a woman, I feel like I want to know if these ladies are going to catch cold. I think you have to ask Dionysus. I'm a bit scared. To <laughs> that's to Dionysus. fair. But I'm the a bit repressed really as a British person. What it made me think is that. It's sort of noticeable that I can't find any stories about Maenads, um, uh, Bacantes, changing shape. I can find lots of examples of them dressing as animals, behaving like animals, mm. tearing people apart with their bare hands, running on all fours, but they never actually... Uh, become physically animals in that, any of the myths I've seen. Isn't that a thing, though? I thought it was gods who would turn humans into into animals, usually for punishment. Um, and it's I've never heard of a, of a Greek myth where a human actually can change shape. And I think there might be some distinction there that, that the um, Maenads uh, serve Dionysus and kind of conjoin themselves with the wild world in a way that most people don't. But they can never cross over without becoming something more i think i think you're 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 right actually and i think when, when i think about all the shape changes of greek mythology there are shape changes who aren't gods but they often have some sort of divine or supernatural aspect and i know that you get werewolves in greek folklore but i've no idea how much later that comes in but then turn that around i think it's interesting as well why why do we have stories all across the world of people changing shape and we don't have them in um, in this context, what, what, what caused them to be left out? And uh, I've got a tenuous segue from there to uh, something I'm going to assert and tell you if you think it's true or not. Uh, it's that werewolves are boring. They are. And Mayanads are not boring. 
Yeah, I mean, so so you mentioned earlier um, True Blood, which is probably the most pop culture example of my ads. Mm. Um, and I found out, actually, fun bit of trivia. Do you know who plays the Minard in True Blood? I'm afraid I do, because God I'm an old school nerd. But do you want to tell our listeners? It's Ensign Rowe! It is Ensign Rowe. From Star Trek Michelle Next Fawkes. Generation. I love her. Anyway, until she betrays me. Um, How did she betray you? By Ensign Rowe. We can't oh, talk yeah. about it, but don't trust her people, even though she's great. Um, but my point is, in that show, which I loved for the first two or three seasons, um, there are shapeshifters, as mm. well as vampires and minads and ultimately i'm sorry to report fairies um and uh, dionysus appears to be trying to stop this podcast yeah, if we, you can we, hear we, we have a violent storm <laughs> battery against the window so let's see if we make it to the end of the podcast we can everyone can be happy that they're not here no it's and we can hopefully <laughs> close the windows should we stop let's keep going and see if it's audible afterwards okay sure if we drown just please phone boris johnson and tell him to come save us um, but my point was, True Blood has lots of different factors, and mm. inexplicably, the shapeshifters are one of the least interesting ones. The kind of werewolf factors are just kind of angry, hairy people who have this constant boring cycle of, oh no, it's going to be a full moon, and for drama reasons, I hope I don't turn into a werewolf, but I do. Mm. Whereas something like the Minads have this like really dark backstory that no one really understands. I think partly it's because viewers don't come with preconceptions about Minads. A lot of people know, oh, they were crazy people who ripped people apart but beyond that our um, knowledge is very limited so when you start saying things like the Dionysian chaotic underbelly of human nature that is normally repressed that's immediately really interesting and really fertile ground it is and I think you've put your finger on on the point I was struggling towards so the essence of drama is you always tell me this the essence of drama is people um, wanting something and not being able to have it and the audience trying to work out what they want and why they can't have it yeah so the, the thing about werewolves in the original myth is is there's a tension there right people turn into a beast and uh, can't control what they do mm. they often don't know they've turned into a beast that's part of the, of the tragedy vampires uh, who you know are massively overexposed now uh are still fundamentally Not as overexposed as the minads tend to be but um <laughs> excellent Thanks. uh uh lost the thread uh Vampires, yes. Yeah, so, so it's fundamentally inconvenient to have to drink blood. <laughs> it is, it is. And True Blood does a lot with that because it tries to modernise it and say what would they actually do if they lived in one society. So this is the fundamental um, uh, thing about vampires is, is they have to drink blood and they can't go about in the daylight. And there's yep. all the other stuff. But those things uh, are flaws and problems and potentials of drama. And werewolves, in most treatments of werewolves, they lose the bit where you where they uh, lose their shit and go out eating people mm. and can't change uh, shape except at the full moon. For obvious reasons, it's really hard to write more than one story about that. You want them mm. to be able to shift and change and do things, but then that takes away the tension in the story. But minads, again, they're still subject to this tension and these restrictions and these drives that forces them to behave in ways that are, that are inconvenient. Well, and and also- simply shape changes, just like werewolves but without the character. So you, you, know, you can turn into an ocelot uh, or, <laughs> or, or an octopus or anything else beating with O. It's, it's... Well, we did, our, we did our quiz recently to find out what our demons would be. So we know what we'll turn into. I can't remember. You'll turn into a hummingbird. Oh, yeah. And I'll turn into a ferret. Sugar. <laughs> so it's not, not the most terrifying gothic story that we've ever mentioned, but, but hey. But, but what I find actually very interesting about this is the throwaway comment of the minads and the kittens was, mm. was us being frankly silly and what I hadn't realised is in terms of gothic portrayal of cats and minads mm. they're actually really similar because I was researching 
for this podcast um, what I was going to talk about in terms of gothic cats. And what I've realised is they all tend to, to perform the same function in whatever story you pick. And that Go function on. is malicious but righteous vengeance. Like frightening ah. violence, but but you are on their side because they are fundamentally correct in their retribution. And that is exactly what mine ads are. Very scary. And women are typically the ones, you know, with a loving mother figure. And we all like, you know, so it's scarier to have a woman going nuts yeah. and biting your head off than it is a man. But also the mine ads usually do it for good reason. Like, you know, they're having a right and someone wanders in. Or I guess Dionysus has told them to. That's, well, that, that's the that thing. Isn't interesting? It, it is. And I hadn't thought of that. And... I can give you yeah, some examples. There are lots of, please do. But I was going to say, there are lots of, of examples of, of, of miners tearing apart people who you really feel you'd rather wouldn't have been torn apart. But they generally, you know, it's not like miners break into your house at night well, and so pull your head off. So you, you have to go and, and bother them. Is, is it Acteon with the story yeah. of, of Diana? Yeah. Or um, uh, Artemis, I should yeah. say. And for people who don't know this myth, it's a very famous one of Artemis, the moon goddess, who's, who's famously um, pious and she's all about only being around ladies and she hates men. And Acteon spies her bathing in the woods and she realises that he's been spying on her and gets very cross. And so she turns him into a heart, I believe, a deer. Mm. Um, and then he is torn to death by his own hunting dogs. So, so that story, for example, which is uh, a woman getting revenge on a guy, you actually feel really sorry for Acteon because he didn't go out there to be pervy. He was wandering around doing his own business mm. and saw this beautiful goddess and just thought, that's kind of sexy, I'll have a look. And, and so he did do something wrong, but you do feel sympathy with him. But I can't think of a story where my nads have been involved, where the person who has been destroyed is anything but either mm. a sort of vessel or somebody who did deserve it. I, mean, I think I think deserve is, is a slightly loaded term, but certainly people... But, but you know, you come away with a feeling that like poetic justice has occurred. Yeah, or, or, or a rule was broken and then a punishment yeah. was, was Meted out. enacted. You, you say that cats and... Minads are both uh, enactors of vengeance. It occurs to me that cats, I can easily see fitting into that role. I can think of examples. It's quite rare to see dogs mm. described in that way. And similarly, you know, werewolves are not. I was thinking about that. I think there's a sense that um, cats, in the same way that minads, cross, like, s- straddle a threshold. So mm. the cats on one level are small and furry and pretty and elegant. But on another level, they're terrifying mm. hunters who we have domesticated. They're both the sort of spirit of the wild with big teeth, but they're small and they live in our house. And minads are lovely domesticated women who are all very pretty and wear makeup, mm. but also will literally pull your nads off with their teeth. So, so again, it's the same sense of unease. <laughs> um, I'm crossing my legs. <laughs> just, I mean, you know, I'm just identifying with the character here. Um, and yet, so I think I think the problem with dogs and wolves and that kind of stuff is they. I mean, I know everyone loves a uh, hashtag good doggo, but dogs I think are more frightening intrinsically because they're bigger and they they do have a greater tendency to like eat their owners and wolves mm. are just they're just wild animals you don't domesticate wolves so so I think it's the, something... yeah you don't get the tension again but tell, give me you said you get examples I want to hear examples literally there is now thunder here so I do think that we're angering some god which means that we're, we're doing well I'm excited by this so there's a couple of examples um there's one that really scares you I think which is actually not gothic at all it's modern um, it's by Vernon Scannell, a modern British Ooh, poet. <laughs> and I'm not going to yeah. read all of it. It's called A Case of Murder, and it's often used by British uh, English teachers there to aren't teach. Many poems that make me go, ooh. He's literally really... pulling, it is really horrible. Um, and, and the essential premise is very short, so, so do Google it and read it. It's fantastic. And the essential premise is there's a boy who's left alone, a little boy, eight year old, something like that, mm. left alone in the house with a cat, and he's a bit scared of this big, horrible black cat. And he ends up accidentally or possibly deliberately murdering it's it. It's a little, little column of um, and, and then feeling quite guilty about it and stuffing it in a cupboard full of spiders. And just the end of it is. Um, uh, 
And though it died, it's grown in that cupboard, and its hot low purr grows slowly louder year by year. There'll not be a corner for the boy to hide when the cupboard swells and all sides split and the huge black cat pads Ugh. out of it. Like, and, and that's a great example because he doesn't talk about how scary the cat is. He doesn't say the cat um, was covered in goo and had big hats on it that said, I'm going to kill you, and it wore a deep, mm. big, scary Jason murder killer mask, whatever. It just says it's a big black cat. But, but, but in, intrinsically in that image already is this frightening enough monster mm. that... that Anyway, so that, that's a, a great modern example of just a cat as an example of actually righteous vengeance because this little boy should not probably have murdered his pet and stuffed it in the cupboard and pretended it was fine, which it wasn't. But two more um, uh, gothic examples is one, I do apologise for the, for the terminology here, um, The Squaw by Bram Stoker, mm. um, which we now modernly update to um, Cat's Cradle. Right. Um, but originally it was called Squaw in 1893, and it's a story of um, a dastardly American, I'm glad to say, who, um, I won't bore you with the backstory, ends up accidentally killing a kitten. He doesn't mean to, but he throws a pebble on the head of a kitten from quite a long way away, and it dies. And its mother is there, and she initially licks this poor kitten's wound in the hope of kind of reviving it. And when she realises that it's dead, she turns her cold yellow eyes to this American, and she um, begins to essentially stalk him. And it's a very short story. Again, you can read this in about, I don't know, half an hour. Um, and he, of course, handily has gone to see a old castle which has a torture chamber in it. And he sort of laughs and tells a story about how this... Um, he knew an Apache woman whose whose child was murdered by an American soldier and she stalked him for three years until she tortured him to death and he, this American, had ever ultimately killed her and tried to rescue her, uh, the, the American soldier but, but he was too late and he said that was the only time he ever saw this Apache lady happy was when she was mm-hmm. ultimately responsible for wreaking vengeance upon this man who killed her kid. And as he's telling the story, he wanders into the torture museum and there's an Iron Maiden and then the cat reappears and it doesn't go well. So again, it's a really nasty, violent story like much I think scarier than, than Dracula hmm. um, and the cat is this really scary mechanism for this really bloody revenge on this guy who, who kind of did a bad thing and didn't really care much about it hmm. it's not like he did the worst thing but, but he murdered this cat's kitten and she's not having it so that's one great example I think of the cat motif in the gothic um, and the other is um, have you read The Black Cat? Poe by Poe yeah. how does that make you feel? Uh, it's it, I mean, it's a bit silly. It is, but I mean, that's Poe, isn't it? It's a bit silly, but also there, he gets <laughs> under your skin, and it's 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 black cats as guilt again, isn't it? It's it's this very thing. much and and revenge, except with a little side note of magic because it's Poe. So again, the central theme is this black cat, helpfully called Pluto, um, is mistreated by its owner to the point where ultimately it is murdered, um, and I think it's actually hung by the owner, and then the next day the cat appears again, except mm. that it has a white crest and now the crest has a black shape of a noose in the fur and that's the only difference. Um, and again, we have lots of gothic tropes of, you know, is it the narrator going mad? Is it actually happening? What What's going on? Um, and ultimately, um, the, the cat either drives its owner insane enough or actually enacts some sort of actual revenge in the real world. But it doesn't go well for the main character, I'll tell you that. Um, and again, we get the sense of, you know... It, this domestic harmony at the start upended this creature that actually was once our friend is now actually quite feral and wild and ultimately mm. on this path that you cannot stop and I think that's one of the things about mine as well I think one of the frightening things is not so much that women who will go mad and cover themselves in your blood it's more that there is a sense that once they start you can't really stop them because all the normal rules are, are taken away if you're fighting you know 
hand-to-hand combat if you kill your other person then you win and it stops but my lads come in groups and if you are fighting a duel there are rules my lads don't have rules they're they're in a frenzy the whole thing is this frenzied state of being and of course this always takes place outside of urban areas outside of houses it's always in the woods in nature and kind of none of the rules apply which is why i think it's so like uncontrollable. I, I guess the other way of looking at that is is the gothic notoriously is about places where the rules don't apply so my ads don't do anything to you as long as you stay inside the rules but once you've stepped outside the rules then you're in a space where um things you don't understand apply so. i'm gonna make a really pedantic change to your, to your thing i think it's not that and um, the gothic is about where rules aren't i think the gothic is about where you, you learn the rules and then you disobey them thinking of the classic kind of bluebeard story or mm. the rebecca's or, or whatever it is there's a sense of, of you understand how the world works and there's usually one thing that you shouldn't do and that's usually what you end up doing like don't go into the spooky room at midnight oh no you did and there was a ghost I think I think you're right, but I think to, to take it up a level, part of the appeal of the Gothic in the Victorian age and now is that it's something from outside our comfortable existence. So mm. we can sit and listen to the storm, which has stopped now, rattling the windows. <laughs> and, uh, Hashtag buy a book of hours next year. <laughs> throw another uh, log on the fire uh, and not worry about it because we're not going to break the rules, so mm. we're going to be okay. And, you know, disaster films are not Gothic stories because the disaster no. just comes through town and you have to get out of its way or hide in the cellar or or gnaw your own leg off. And that's one of the things that surprised me when I read Dracula for the first time, that that actually I was expecting this sort of big disaster movie of like the undead coming to life and it being a zombie film Mm. essentially. And it it isn't the scariest thing as when Dracula crosses the sea and comes to England. Because that's that's kind of the intruder walks amongst us. And And that's exactly the Victorian thing. If I go to Transylvania, I'll get eaten. But if I don't go to Transylvania... I'm fine, the same way that I will not go in the sea yeah, and a shark around, will not kill me. If you go to one of the subject territories, then you don't know, you know, what the nature of the That sort of thing doesn't happen in England. You don't get no. vampires in England. <laughs> and how outrageous fr- idea. How frightening is that? And I think yeah. in Nosferatu, which is a re- actually really haunting film, it's, I think it's one of the most unsettling films I think I've ever seen, even though it's very old. There's There's a really prolonged bit of the film, which is just seeing these coffins pile up in the square as Nosferatu stalks this re- rural town. Mm. And it's terrifying because you don't see, you know, lots of blood or like an extended sequence where, you know, you, you, dramatic irony, we know he's there, but the character doesn't know he's there and eventually she gets killed. No, no, you just see these sort of lovely cobbled streets and beautiful light mm. and then this increased amount of coffins and the sort of desperation and it's awful because it's come inside. It's inside the walls. It occurs to me as well, there's this, uh, I've, I've read often accounts of how the imperial era plugged into the gothic because you've got the stuff that is run properly and the stuff from outside Mm. but also one of the things about britain that i think is easy to overlook if you're from a more sensible country is that britain is an island and england we're constantly bringing things in well no england has two land borders but only with wales and scotland which have been uh you know sometimes enemies but part of the same country for 400 years yeah and that I think defines a lot of our psychology because we have an idea of the world as safely separate. It has to get across the sea if it's mm, going to get that's to a good us. Point. And I remember I was reading the Silk Road. I'm still reading the Silk Road. Big, <laughs> it's big a big book. book. <laughs> very good. But it's it describes a number of the reasons why Britain pulled ahead. Um, and you know, natural resources are, are, are one. We got lucky with the mix at the right moment for the Industrial Revolution. Um, but another big one, of course, is just the fact that we didn't have to spend on defence the same way that other 
European countries had to spend spend because on what defense. we had to see. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the, really the Russian tactic of yeah. we're just Russia, so come get us if you can. And you know the English Channel is a lot fright- less frightening than the Russian winter, but it's it's still You've got to have a boat though. Yeah, yeah, you can't you, you can't. It's take such an the average, and, you know, Chancer army. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. There's another Gothic cat thing which yeah. has occurred to me. We yeah. talk about cats. It's weird, isn't and it? And ladies and sex. Cats. Oh, oh gosh. Well, it's a film I, I keep trying to convince you that we should watch. Is this is this the one where the sexy 1940s people become cats at night? I think I think that was the original. I think it was a remake, which has some sexy 1980s people. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Uh, Are called Cat People? Is it Sam Neill and Natasha Kingsley? Sam yeah. Neill? I think it's Sam Neill. It's definitely Natasha Kingsley. So it is called Cat People. And, and yes, the, the thesis of Cat People... Is they are people who turn into cats. But only under one's very specific circumstance. Is it after they have sex? Yes, it is. Do you know how they turn back? <laughs> um, do they have to consume the flesh of another being? They have to kill someone, yes. So See, I don't need to imagine, see the film. Well, <laughs> again, that's why I'm looking at it. Another is you're already attuned to it, so you get so much out of it. But mm. it, it, that, that, it strikes me that that is, in most respects, totally different from everything we're talking about. Except, again, of course, it's about the rules and about, you know, you break the rules and you've... Uh, you have to stay chaste if you want to stay safe and if you don't stay chaste then you've got to start eating people then you're off the hook and the rules don't apply mm. and I also I mean I think there probably is an edge of forgive me for getting my soapbox here of, of kind of sexism with the sense that women are kind of these sexy creatures but but occasionally they're a bit scary mm. and cats are like sexy animals aren't they but sometimes you want to I don't know by kitten in a non-sexy way. I don't know. The, that went, that went <laughs> on. What I meant was, um, if, if if you were going to pick any animal for a woman to turn into, bearing yeah. in mind she's both sensual and murderous, yeah. you pick a cat. You do, and and you know it's men very, tend to I be identified with female, 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 dogs or wolves, and animal. Dogs are more physically imposing, uh, like us folks. Cats have higher pitched voices. Uh, you know, we, women we are obviously. Clean. <laughs> cleaner and more elegant but, <laughs> but the, the, you know it, it does tend to go that way I mean obviously a, a cat but person, I wasn't but so much complaining about cat people I was just people, saying but... I think this is another weird connection between mine as yeah. and I didn't really know existed that because there is this sort of violent sexual element with, where the two meet yeah I have a feeling uh, I, can't, I can't remember and my notes are incomprehensible but I think <laughs> I think panthers were associated with Dionysius and with uh, as well. I think so but I'm I, I, Somebody will write in and tell me I'm So going wrong. back to my nads. Yeah. I I admit that my knowledge of them is pretty shallow. So so if I were a minad going for a minadic ritual, hmm. I know how it ends. But how does it start? Is there a specific sacrifice you bring along with you? Is it just a party that kind of goes crazier and crazier until someone's dead? Is it quite formal actually? There, there, I, I, yeah. I, 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 really I, so so again, well yes. So this, this is this is what I was about to say is is there's my ads mythology and there's my ads or, or, or bacantes or or um uh Forest Dynasty in Isn't in, that what they did? In fact so so because you don't get many first hand accounts written by your actual my ads, it's not really clear what happened in mythology or what happened in real life. And probably the uh you know, good women of Athens who went out to uh, uh honor Dionysus didn't tear people together with it. I don't know man I've been to an all girls school sometimes it got hairy but um, I think I I was talking the other day uh, about um, uh, Clodius Pulcare and 
Bonadea. I was gonna. I was wondering if you were going to mention it's, this. It's, this is quite a good. Yeah. So, so there's a Roman goddess called Bonadea, which means the good goddess. And no who, one knows her real was, name because it was women's. Yeah. So it was. It was, it was it, so we didn't bother to write that down. A couple of nights a year. <laughs> God, uh, so women were allowed to have basically a girl's night in and they'd bring the cult image of Bonadia out uh, of her temple and she'd actually be, I think, laying on a couch in the house and they'd drink wine, which Roman women weren't normally allowed to drink strong wine, only the, the weak stuff. Bet they did, though. They'd perform sacrifices, which they weren't normally allowed to do yep. in ceremonies. They'd actually spill blood. And they'd play games and musical instruments. And, it, you know, th- there might have been some... Um, illicit behaviour, but it was pretty mild illicit behaviour compared to sparagmos, the tearing apart of, of uh, uh, flesh with hands. Uh, but the, the, the men were forbidden uh, the ritual. They couldn't see it. In theory, a man would be blinded if he'd seen it. Uh, there was a... Uh, you, all the babies, all the boy babies had to be taken out of the house. Get out, elsewhere. tiny men. Uh, or even the tomcats uh, were, were, were sent away for the night. Interesting. And then this guy, Clodius Pulco, later on became a, a, a bit of a rabble-rouser, uh, dressed up as a lady um, and got a slave girl to smuggle him into uh, somewhere that the rites were occurring. Also, so doesn't his name mean beautiful Claudius? Uh, no, Claudius, C-L-O-D. I don't know what that means, Claudius, but, but Paul Care be- means beautiful, yeah. Beautiful Claudius. I, yeah, Great. I just... Sorry, go on the story. But uh, it was Caesar's house. It was Caesar's mother and uh, wife, wife who were uh, running the rites. So the story was that Claudius was trying to uh, get it on with Caesar's wife and that she'd been expecting him. But he got bored after the slave girl smuggled him in, so he sort of bimbled around the house uh, <laughs> looking for Caesar's <laughs> wife. And eventually he ran into... Uh, was like Mr Bean? Well, exactly this. A lady who, who, who said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And he's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm just a lady just looking for the... And, and she said, hang on. You're a man! Yeah, and, and he ran away and they all chased him around the house with their lamps. And he got away. Or they threw him out of the house, rather. Uh, because you know they weren't minors; they were basically Roman patrons, uh, and they they didn't tear him limb from limb. But then it ended up being this astonishing cataclysmic scandal, um, and it's the origin of the phrase Caesar's wife, where we, Caesar divorced his wife on the spot uh, because um, he said, you know, he obviously didn't believe she'd been going to get up to anything with the intruder. But even the suspicion that she might have was insupportable for uh, the chief priest as he, as he was at the time. Uh, and it, it uh, I, I forget the details, and it's complicated, but it was a, a major political scandal that uh, changed the, the face of Rome because this freaking Beautiful idiot Claudius. lad just broke into the house. And, and he got off, to... didn't he? Hilariously. He did, yes. I think the implication was that jewellery had been heavily bribed because he quite clearly had done it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, I, do you want to have has a guess? Buena dia? What's her name? Go on. What the name? Yeah. But we're going to say it. We just had a storm outside the windows. I'll get, get That's true. It was a bit of a tongue warning, ripped wasn't out it? of the route. Yeah, come on. Okay. But in terms of, of, of minor ceremonies, the one thing I was going to say is is um, there are a lot of specific ritual accoutrements associated with them, um, and um, uh, I mean I think this is the case with Greek cults generally. But um, I ended up using the names or references to a lot of these ritual recruitments in Cultus Simulator. Mm. So like the Theosos, I think it's called, is oh, a yeah. pine cone staff. Or, you know, if you're feeling a little bit 
impure. It's a you know sort of vaguely willy shaped staff. But uh, so it's so a Dionysus used to carry it around, and, and I used all these freaking words for uh, incantations in the game. And every time a translator goes near them, I get a plaintive note saying, "What the hell does does this mean?" Yeah, you've not made you the translator's that? job no. easy. No, so thanks, Dionysus. Another um, cultist comparison which struck me is one of the the best modern stories of, of my nadri that I've read mm. is Donna Tart. Um, yes, I can't believe I didn't mention that, yes. So so if you haven't read it, Donna Tart, it's, I think it's her masterpiece. It's absolutely brilliant. It's quite slow and, and it starts off and, you, and if you're expecting a Maynard story, then you might be like, is this the right book? Um, but it is. Um, and you call the whole of Cultist Simulator The Secret Histories. And Donna Tart's book is The Secret History which is all about uh, minadery in, in New England um, and how a lot of a lot of rules, a lot of proper modern life can can change and can decay into this actually quite barbaric um, experience. Mm. But so yeah, top tip, read that. Not gothic at all, but it is great. And we should end it, really. I think we should. This is the end of the season. We've got one more. We've got one more episode. We have decided that we're going to have 10 episodes per season and we're going to do one more episode in the gothic um, which I think we're going to do in something like Star-Crossed Lovers, something quite sweet. I haven't decided yet. Um, so there'll be one more after this. And then season two, we're going to do, but we're going to probably change the overarching theme because the Gothic is fun, but it's not infinite. And the world is very big and full of interesting things. Bacon. Yes, the next season of Skeleton Songs will be entirely about bacon. Toilet bacon. You know, we did start this podcast by saying that um, we kept our promises. And now I'm going to have to scrub all of this from the record. That wasn't a promise, that was just me saying words at random. You were reading off your notes, weren't you, darling? Have a spooky day. <laughs>